this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. about Philippians. How good. Well, it's my, uh, I've got the honour of doing the first one, so I better sort of frame it up, I suppose, and really before we dive into it, into it each week and, uh, and connecting with all that as well, which is, um, which is great with the connect groups, which is awesome. Um, have we got any Philippians songs, Beth? I was thinking if we're just going to keep the theme. Ooh, give me a minute, uh, one minute. She's quick, she's good. We get some Philippian songs, but it's great. Philippians, it is, um, it's a really cool book. I've read it, you know, hopefully we're going to read through it in even more detail, but I did do my pre-reading for this particular message. You'll be glad to know I'm not coming up with this on the fly. And it's, um, it's awesome. This whole series is centered around it. And I guess to start off with, you know, what are the Philippians? What's going on? Um, so it's a, basically it starts off with, um, the context around this, it's, it's a letter from Paul. Um, it's one of several letters, which is most of the New Testament, from Paul to the, the church of Philippi, and um, so Philippians, um, which is a, a city or a town at the time uh, between Israel and Rome. So it was as his way he's going there. And you know what? I knew that because I used those weird maps at the back of your Bible for the first time in a long time. I'm like, this should actually show up on one of those. It showed up with, as well as Abraham's journey and the average rainfall in the particular areas. So that's very useful to know. Um, a bunch of other information which, you know, is there. But the Church of Philippi, bang. It was right where Paul, he'd go on the way to Rome and he stopped in. And so this particular letter is written about 10 years after he actually founded the church. So he went through, founded the church. He's back and forth Um, preaching everywhere, and then in this instance, 10 years later, he's writing a book, uh, writing a letter back to them, and uh, he's writing it while he is in jail in Rome. So he's sending out letters, he sent out a bunch, um, and Philippians is one of those. And so we're going to dive all into it, understand his letters, um, because it's the early days of the church. Like, they didn't have, there was no C3, and there's no Hillsong, there's no streaming this. There's no group chats. It's it's they're kind of they're just coming up with it. They had basically all these people and Jews had figured out, hey, Jesus, that's where we're aiming for from now on. So let's meet and talk about it. You know, do we do music? Should we use a guitar, a harp? Don't know. Do we do coffee after? Is that is that allowed? Do we do we have rules? What's the go here? Like they're just figuring it out. And so Paul is sending out these letters, and he's giving them guidance while in jail. And um, because that's, I mean, at least they gave him letters to, to send out, which is great. I, um, when was, has anyone here just never sent a letter? Like actually sat down, dear someone? I bet people are young. Mitch, Mitch, yeah, all right. Just like never sat down and written a letter. I, I could probably split the congregation, I feel like. There's probably an age around 35 to 40 and below and above. It's like, why would I do that? Um, I wrote letters, I remember. I have never been in jail, but I did go through basic training, and um, and I, I 
I draw that parallel because they would make you draw that parallel in that the blankets they gave you, which were made of like this itchy dog hair thing, which was just terrible. And I remember there was a big tag on it and it was like made by Australian government for prison and army use only. You're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> not Navy, not Air Force, not any other government, ju- no, nah. prison and army. So that's where they set the bar for dog hair blankets. That's the only place we'll use them. And so I remember you only got your phone for half an hour on a Sunday um, after church and they would say, you don't have to go to church or you can stay here in the building with us, like the drill sergeants. And everyone's like, I'm going to church. Um, everyone. And so they'd be like, and you'd go into this big building and it was literally like, choose Catholic, Anglican or Baptist. And most of the soldiers were like, I, I'll, go to the, I'll, I'll go to the one straight ahead, I guess. I don't know. And, uh, and I was like, all right, I, I know kind of what I'm doing here. But then afterwards, yep, you got your phone for half an hour. That was it. And, uh, and, but throughout that week, you could write letters. And so uh, we wrote a lot of letters, I guess, because you'd have time where it's like nine o'clock at night, you're just sitting around, you either clean or write a letter or read a book. And that's pretty much it. And um, I think it's really interesting, the book of Philippians, because I know this, when I wrote letters and I was in basic training, most of the letters were about me. Uh, I wrote about me and it's just like, this is ridiculous, you should blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I hope things are going well. But Philippians, he's in jail And he barely mentions it. Most of the book is about joy. It's about encouragement. And he's passing on all this stuff while he's out there. The whole letter could just be like, oh, man, the guards beat us up here. I only get to see the sunlight here. Like, it's none of that. It's just like, I'm writing into you while I'm in jail. So here's what you should know about following Jesus. It's just all him pastoring and passing on all this stuff. And so as we dive into the book of Philippians, it's important just to keep that context. The whole time he's in a cell you know, just who knows how bad it was, like literally. Uh, maybe, maybe he had a dog hair blanket for prisons and missionaries only, but like, um, like can I can't imagine how terrible it would have been. And he's writing just consistently. One of the themes we see in Philippians is happiness and joy. Comes up all the time. He's thanking them. What else is he doing here? He's, he's, throughout the book, he's thanking them constantly for support, which again, like it could have been, Super resentful, like, thanks for the support, guys. Ended up in prison, so didn't work out. No, he's super grateful because they're helping him. He's, he's also warning them about slipping back into the old religious ways, and he's encouraging them to just continually rejoice and to make sure that they just keep the mind of Christ on their lives. And so as we go through over the next, you know, uh, few weeks, month, um, these themes will keep coming up, and hopefully as well in your connect groups as you're reading in, uh, you'll see these just constantly Paul is talking about rejoicing and encouragement and just staying the line. And in the context there is a lot, of, a lot of the time is some religious leaders would basically encourage them to just get back into the old religious um, Jewish traditions. And he's constantly putting them back on. He's like, no, no, old school, new school. Like this is the new thing. Jesus is the way. So if we go into the first chapter... It starts off with the greetings from Paul. So verses, uh, the first few verses here. Chapter 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and the deacons. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ 
give you grace and peace. What an awesome opening. I did not, I was not that eloquent when I wrote letters and I certainly don't send emails close as well as that um, or texts or anything like that. But I think it is awesome just in that first instant right there we can just unpack a whole bunch. I mean the first off is his, um, his key greeting really is, is grace and peace. He, he signs it off his letters and he starts with grace and peace and I think it's awesome he's just constantly reinforcing the concept of grace which is basically what the whole New Testament is wrapping around is that Jesus has now come, died for our sins, we don't have to follow all these old school rules, we have God's grace and peace with us. We just have to enter into that grace and he reinforces that every single chapter like grace and peace, grace and peace. Guys, it's all about grace, it's all about peace, yeah? It's awesome. He also, he specifically calls out uh, positions. He says, including the elders and the deacons, or sometimes it's the overseers or the bishops. Um, And it's interesting because it already highlights uh, that Christianity and the early church, still a team. If if anyone could be a a one-man band, it would have been Paul. He's just going all over the place, and he's not saying, like, dictating what to do. He's already outlining that there's structure and there's teams and there's organising together. Because Christianity, like, we've got to do it as a team. We, we have to make sure that we're constantly coming back to this environment that we have here or digital. It's awesome that we can connect even more. But we have to keep coming back to the fact that Christianity is not supposed to be by yourself. It's not an isolated thing. The relationship with, with God and Jesus... It's a personal connection, but ultimately it's shared through God's grace together as a family and in the kingdom of God. Um, and I think it's really important to just keep reminding ourselves that because particularly in our society, like where individualism is sort of like the, the go-to, right? Like, I've got it, i got it, I'll do it, I'm fine. But like when was the last time you, you really reached out to someone and said, like, I need help with this? You know, like, I, I need a hand, um, I can think of a, a physical example, which is when I had to... All right, so Havelock locked himself in his room. Pretty annoying. I wasn't there. I was in Sydney, and Lara's like, Havelock's locked himself in the room. He's crying. It's on the sort of the second floor. Can't get in the window. So I call my dad over, and he breaks the door to get in and, like, making sure he's not there, looking in the window. Okay, do it now. Anyway, um, I wasn't there, or I would have done it, gladly. Breaking doors, that's kind of fun. But... Um, <laughs> Even though it's my door. But I don't know how to put a door back on. But my Uncle Tony does. What up? So, yep. um, Call someone to help. I could have tried. I would have failed. But um, we all need help. And we need to just make sure we're asking for help. And especially in the spirit. Like, obviously, that's an easy example because I don't know how to put a door back on. But what do you not know in the Bible? Like, what do you not understand? Or a circumstance comes up in your life and you're like, I've never handled this. I guarantee someone else he has or someone else knows what you should be doing. And when it's too often, we just think, yeah, cool, um, I'll, I got it, I'll handle it. You know, like, it's, it's just something, it sucks and I'll deal with it myself. Encourage one another, reach out to one another. Like, there's a, there's a level of vulnerability or humility, like, when you have to accept that I don't know how to handle this. That is okay. It's okay to do that. You know, there are elders in Christ, there's deacons, and there's leaders and people amongst us that can help each other. So let's make sure we're really making the effort to do that. Um, you know, I mean, even Jesus. Jesus 
could have been, if anyone could have been the one-man band, it would have been him. But he still had disciples. He's clearly the main character. He's the main show going on. But he still had disciples, I'm sure, doing plenty of stuff behind the scenes, making it all happen. Um, Jesus didn't even, like, he didn't actually write any of this down. This isn't physically written by Jesus. There's a whole Paul, letters, and Luke, all these other people, like, wrote it down. Um, so it's really important we're reaching out constantly. We're moving on. We've got from verses 6. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. But you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ. Again, partners, teamwork. He's just reinforcing that he's coming together and he's getting help from these people. I'm certain that God who began his, the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day that Jesus Christ returns. It's awesome in this that he's recognising that he can't do it alone and that they are, and the context around that is that they are financially supporting him. Um, he's travelling all over the place planting churches and this particular church was financially making sure that he was set up to keep doing that. And so the model of helping each other is again reinforced and even Paul needed help. Couldn't do it alone. Paul wasn't able to travel the whole Roman Empire and plant all these churches by himself. And we can't do our whole life by ourselves. We are always needing work and help to do that. But it's also important here that he says, uh, until, uh, until it's finally finished, continue his work until it is finished. So there is an end state. It's not just, we're not working to build the kingdom of God indefinitely and there's not really any, ever a result or anything that we don't see out out of that, God has a plan, and that plan will be finished on earth. We personally may not see it, but we are building towards a plan that will be completed in Christ. And uh, in, in an eternal perspective, we will see it, even if we don't physically see it while we're here. It's important to recognize, you know, we're, we're building together in something that God has absolutely got a plan for when Christ Jesus returns, which, uh, you know, didn't happen back in Paul's time. Maybe it'll happen in our time. Who knows? No one. Spoiler. Um, so it's really important, I think, to recognise again, Paul is, is really working in a team and he's super grateful for that because um, I think it's, it's really easy. And I've had this, but when you're going through something like playing sport, for instance, you know, if you've ever played sport with a crowd, you don't notice the crowd. Like you get this weird thing and you're just like, oh, I didn't even know someone was someone was heckling you or yelling at you, you kind of don't notice. And that is, a, it's actually a, like a physical thing that's studied. It's tunnel vision, essentially, where you, your senses literally block out other senses and focus on just the bare minimum, like all the effort on the only ones that you need. And you, you literally get tunnel vision. And um, I've seen soldiers get this and you're like yelling at them from like a metre away and they just, they can't hear you. You have to sometimes shake them or like turn their face because... There's too many explosions, there's too much things going on, and they're just tunnel-visioned. And too often we get tunnel-visioned when we start dealing with problems in life and we just focus in on a particular aspect of that and we forget the wider context of where we're at, the wider context of having our family in Christ and having God, Jesus, there to help us. His grace is guiding us through us. We 
can't get tunnel vision when we've got problems going on and it just seems like everything is overwhelming and I can only focus in on one particular aspect of my life. I can't believe that, you know, that I lost my job or I can't believe that COVID did this, whatever it is. Don't get tunnel visioned. Step back. Understand the wider context of where we're at. Paul had to. He was trapped in jail. He could have just focused in on that. His whole book could have just been lamenting about how he's stuck in a jail, but he wasn't. He was focused, he, was, he stood back and he was talking about the wider kingdom. He's talking about how God is going to work and complete his work in the kingdom of God. Don't get tunnel vision. Keep moving forward and keep the context of what is happening around us important and engaged and building to, uh, through the kingdom. So verse 7. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. You have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favour of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you in the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Like that is, that's just super encouraging. He's just absolutely throwing it out there. He just loves these people. He is... Uh, clearly very grateful and totally understands that without them he wouldn't be anywhere, essentially, even though he says, both in my imprisonment, share the special favour of God. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and you'll keep on growing and in knowledge and understanding. Growing in knowledge and understanding. I like the idea that, you know, he, uh, he's talking there, after talking about this love and understanding that it's all boiling down to that he will keep on overflowing love and growing. Because growth, it takes a concerted, deliberate effort. Growth is not something, you know, once you reach adult years, uh, that just happens without some effort. Even if it's not something you're aiming for, you need to actually do the thing or practice whatever it is to grow in that area. And so in this instance, he's talking about love and understanding. I, I've seen a lot of people grow in uh, different contexts, but I remember one particular very small snapshot was after a, um, we, we would do these really big exercises. There'd be like thousands of soldiers go away and Navy and Air Force, everyone, and then you'd all practice and then it'd be like, all right, show's over. And it was great because the Navy and Air Force would boat, row, sail, uh, home, I don't know. Uh, Air Force would fly home because they got all the planes. And then the Army, you'd have to take turns waiting for the Air Force to pick you up or for a bus because um, you can't walk from you know Rockhampton back to Townsville or something. So it was just sit here on this airfield and just kind of wait. And it was just like this weird purgatory where everyone just has nothing to do. All the general, like, higher-up officers would have more important things to do, so they'd leave. And so, like, the middle management, basically my level, and all the soldiers would just be sitting around waiting. So you would just be, I don't know, you'd come up with stuff. And But soldiers would know this was coming, so they would plan for it, and then they'd bust out all these things that they'd been carrying for, like, the entire exercise. Just like, don't worry, got it. Like, and, like the easiest one's a pack of cards. But there's all these weird things. So anyway, I remember this one particular one. Uh, one of them busted our chessboard, and I was like, great. And so we, I just learnt, well, I just got good at chess with these soldiers, I guess. Um, you know, people playing euchre or whatever. But I remember one soldier, <laughs> it wasn't, he didn't intentionally have this, 
but he had, he had he had to carry this drone around for most of the exercise, and it wasn't like this was early days of drones. It wasn't one of those like helicoptery kind of cool hovery ones. This was like a plane kind of one. It was like it was like the size of this pulpit, and it would, like it folded down and everything. But he had to carry it around, and he constantly was trying to ask to use like, oh, I could send the drone up, and then. Inevitably, like, no, 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 we're going to wait for that and make sure it's a special, you know, it's pretty important, mate. We're not going to use it. He never got to use it th- the whole exercise. Didn't get to use it. Carried around the whole time, which is classic because, like, you'd always be carrying things you'd never use. Um, anyway, so he's, he was super bummed out about it. But then he saw this opportunity because all the higher-up officers left and we're sitting around this huge airfield for days, uh, sometimes weeks, and he was just like, can I use the drone? And I was like, I didn't sign for it, so go for it. I don't care. I didn't sign for it, meaning if it breaks, my name's not anywhere on the paper trail, so I don't care. I'm like, who signed for this? Where, who owns it? And he's like, oh, he explained someone I'd never heard of. And I went, sure then, I don't care. Go for it. And um, so I was super pumped. And I remember there was a bit of a crowd because nothing's going on. So someone with this weird, like, flying thing. So he stood on top of this, like, like a tank, and he threw it, and it just busted straight down, so he you know, redid it. Anyway, so the first time he got it flying, and again, it's not a hovering one. It's like flying, you've got to keep it moving. He, he launched it, and, or someone launched it, and he's got the remotes, and it took off, and it's starting flying, and there's a big cheer. Everyone's just like, yeah, it's flying, this is awesome. Anyway, so it's flying, and then it's flown straight into a tent, and in this tent was a soldier who had broken his ankle um, a couple of days before, and so he basically was stuck in his, like, not really a tent, but sort of like a tent, um, and his, I remember his foot was up on his pack, and he was just waiting to leave, and he was just drinking a coffee, and so from his perspective, he's just sitting there, miserable, in pain, drinking a coffee, and this, like, miniature plane just goes, bang, and just spills his coffee, smashes his leg, and so, and he's just in shock, and just, like, obviously confused, like he, it half knocked him out because he wasn't wearing his helmet or anything. And um, from our perspective, it was hilarious, obviously, because this plane has just landed into this poor dude's tent. Anyway, um, the point of that is, though, <laughs> is that that was the first flight, but for the next, like, six days, he was just practising and practising flying this thing. It never broke probably, pr- properly. And by the end of it, he was flying it, like doing loops and we were just egging him on to do even stupider things like try and fly it deliberately through the tent now and like go in between trees and, you know, all that. But in that short span, he basically sat down and said, I'm going to fly this thing and learn how to be. And then he got back from the exercise and got taken off him and he never saw it again. Um, and, but I'm sure he went and bought a drone. They're not that expensive now. Um, but he made a deliberate effort, like, I'm going to get good at this thing. I'm going to grow in this thing. And the point here is that I'm saying is Paul is encouraging us that if you want to grow in knowledge and in understanding, it's something that you have to do intentionally. It's not something that's going to happen, you know, passively just by being a passenger, literally. Uh, he's, you're going to have to actually participate and prioritize growing in Christ. And in this instance, he's talking about love. Growing in love, as in your capacity for love will grow when your knowledge and understanding in Christ also grows. It's, love is not like, well, I have 100 units of love, and so i got, you know, five family, five here, ten there. No, no, your capacity grows in love. You know, just like the classic example is as you have more kids or parents, and it's like, yeah, I get it now. Like, you don't have like, well, I've got a kid now, I'm going to have to half my love up. That's, 
absolutely not how it works. Like your capacity grows and God is infinite. So in God, our, our opportunity to grow in love is, is essentially infinite. It's up to us to grow in that. And it's, it's awesome here. He also links, he grows in, in knowledge and love and understanding in that they're, they're intrinsically linked. You know, it's easy to separate those two in, in normal life. Like, uh, uh, you know, some people are more emotional and some people are more analytical and knowledgeable. And, you know, you might know where you fall on that or a bit of both. So if I want to study, I go and study. And if I want to, you know, become more emotional, I go watch a bunch of rom-coms or something, I guess. And, um, but in this context, they are one and the same. If you want to grow in love, you also have to grow in the knowledge of Christ. God's grace enables us to grow in love, but we have to understand what that grace is. And the reverse of that is true as well. If we want to grow in knowledge in Christ, we also have to grow in our love for him. It's, they're, they're too linked to try and separate and be this like, hard theologian or like, I understand everything about the Bible, but I don't, well, I'm not emotional about it, I don't love it. It's like, well, then you don't understand anything. You've missed the whole point. And, and vice versa. If, if you love God so much, you need to understand what he's actually trying to say. Otherwise, there's no love in that. It's just this wishy emotional part. They are linked. Love and understanding of God is God's grace for us. Make a deliberate growth and effort to, to grow in God and, and your love for him. The other part here which I, I, I just love is that he is, um, am I jumping ahead? Sorry, just check my notes. No, he's, um, he's saying, you know, you share with me the special favor of God, imprisonment and defending, confirming God's. God knows how much I love you. I pray that your love will overflow more and more. He's praying for them. He's not asking, please pray for me, I'm locked in jail. doesn't say that. He's praying for them. He's not even really praying for his circumstances at all. Don't let your circumstances dictate your prayer and your love for God. His mission is to spread the word of God. He was put on the on earth to plant churches and write that basically half the New Testament, and he's not letting his circumstances stop that. Hey, guys, I said, you know, I'm locked up in jail, so I'll see you when I see you. No, he's continuing on with his mission. He's praying for love and growth because that con- conquers circumstances. Ultimately, people remember the New Testament and the parts that Paul was in for this, you know, 2,000 years on, this legacy of what he's contributed to. It's not every other prisoner that was in uh, Roman jails at the time. Don't know them. But we do know Paul because he didn't let his circumstances hold him back and he didn't even try and change his circumstances that much. He kept trying to build the kingdom of God. And in turn... Eternal on this earth, at least, uh, as, as long as you can have legacy of, of this phenomenal man of God. So we'll move on to verses 10, 11. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you also be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Man, so what truly matters here? I want you to understand what truly matters. He's actually, he's really trying to drive it home. And why do you need to understand it? So that you may live 
pure and blameless lives until Christ returns or we return to Christ. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, righteous character produced in your life. What truly matters in our lives is righteous character produced by Jesus Christ. Our relationship with Jesus Christ and through that producing righteousness. I mean, to put it really into layman's terms, loving God makes you a better person. That is what matters. It's the fancy Bible way of saying, when you are a Christian and you love God and you're a better person for it, that is what matters. It doesn't matter that you're locked in prison. It doesn't matter that, you know, oh, the election's coming up. It won't be easy under Albanese and Scotty from marketing. Like, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is righteousness in, in Christ. Look at Jesus. Jesus came when the Romans had, had literally taken over their country. It's like if, if a, you know, a country, the Japanese had successfully invaded Australia back in World War II and they had just... The entire government, all your local mayors, everyone, just these, you know, totally fascists, we're in charge now. Bad luck Australians, we're in charge. And we're just like, oh man, this Messiah, this like prophecy Messiah, he's going to come, you know, King David style, he's just going to come through, cut through it all. He rocks up and he's basically just travelling around going, no, it doesn't really matter. Anyway, kingdom of God. (laughs) Kingdom of God. Hey, what about like the Romans? They've totally like taken over our country. You going to do anything about that? Nope. Anyway, so kingdom of God, becoming a better person, loving your brothers and sisters. It's just like you can see why some people, like I'm sure Peter would have been like, come on, like let's fight. I can, I can totally understand that. Like you'd want to overthrow the shackles and all that. No, it is the kingdom of God. It is righteousness that matter. None of that matters. The kingdom of God is what matters. And, and manifesting that in your own life not trying to worry about manifesting it in the political realm or anywhere else, but what truly matters is manifesting Jesus Christ, the righteous character, through your relationship with him. Amen? We can get the band up. You know, it is not something that uh, Paul, I think, was only doing sporadically, but he's talking about always. He's talking about, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. Always. It's not something that's like, hey, once you read this letter, I get it. You'll forget about me until the next time when I'm out. No, when we always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. Because we need to recognize, church, that God is the way. He is is the life of, of everything. His righteousness is what makes us, you know, uh, manifest God's grace in this normal life, but makes us uh, better people for it. If we want to grow in love and his understanding, his grace, we need to make a deliberate effort and making sure that we're, we're setting aside time, we're recognising our circumstances, but we're not dictated by them and accepting God's grace for us. You know, let's grow in him, let's love him, let's love one another and encourage one another to keep doing that. We've got all these connect groups starting as... Um, we, we get into all the different pieces to pull out with Philippians, but let's recognise consistently that what is most important, that you will be filled with the fruit of your salvation, righteous character. Amen? All right.
hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.